This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to help me out with our week 13, Charlie, I want to say, right? It's week 13? I've lost track. We, so there's 12 regular season games, two bye weeks, so there's 14 weeks. This is the second, yep, week 13. So week 13 mailbag episode here on the Glory UJ podcast. You guys, that's how my mind works. I think I did that math right, so we're going to go with it. Uh, that was a lot of words. It's a Monday. That was a lot of words and numbers all together. I Yeah, I should have had that. this written down already on our notes, like week 13 mailbag, but yeah. I'm usually really well prepared for these things, but apparently not today. So my bad on that, but we got Charlie here with me in the Vivid Seat studio. And Charlie, you made it back from Auburn. How how much did you enjoy that biannual trip to your favorite city in all of America? It wasn't as cold this time, so that was nice. Was it as amazing as it always is, as, you, as awesome as I you mean, remember it being? We won. I didn't see any grammatical errors on signs this time. Which is always funny. You see, actually, guy, this is like a running joke with Charlie and I. Like we, almost every time we go to Auburn, like you know, it's people like uh, park here, or buy, sell, trade. Like there's always some sort of, like oddly enough, like some grammatical error. And when for some reason we always catch up, we didn't really see mean. that this time. We're mean. We're not very nice people. But it, when he mentions, just... let me just say, I'm not a very nice person. I'll own it. I mean, you're a nice person, but when it's Auburn, like they're not. Pe- they're not people. They, they, that, okay, no, they're people, but that's like not nice. they're people that like we don't care about. So we'll go over there. I, I guess that's how <laughs> we would say. I don't care about them. I people that live in a terrible city, right? Don't like who they are a fan of. Yeah. Okay. Well, Perhaps. you're you are nicer than me. You're nicer than me. I'll give you credit for that. But we have a bunch of questions to get here, get through today here on the show. A lot of stuff from the game, obviously against Auburn with that big win, clinching the SEC East. Got a question or two looking forward to the AM game this week and some other generalized questions as well talking about this team. So a lot of stuff to get through. You guys always bring the goods here, and uh, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into these, and Charlie, I'm going to let you take it from here. All right, the two popular topics with this week's questions were Jake Fromm and the offense along with our conservative defensive approach in the fourth quarter against Auburn. Let's start with the Jake Fromm questions. Bryant, Chris, and Jamil all sent in questions about Fromm and his recent performances. So to start... Brian says, after the Auburn game, he's finally beginning to think that previous versions of Jake were better than this current incarnation. Arm strength seemed to be better and more accurate, and this leads him to believe that he is a weak link along with the inexperienced receivers and what otherwise is a team with a lot of championship parts. What do you think? And then also from other listeners, do you think Fromm has regressed this year or is not as far along as he should be in year three as a starter? Worried the coaching staff is doing him a disservice. Okay, so, yeah, let's talk about Jay Fromm right off the bat here. These are really good questions and, and, and fair questions. These are not, like, unreasonable things to think and say after what we've seen the past couple of weeks. But here's what I would say, and I will preface this by saying, as you guys well know, I am the president of the Jay Fromm fan club. I know a lot of people just completely discount whatever I say about Jay Fromm because they think I'm unable to be objective with him and actually I think I, I try to be very objective I tell you when he doesn't play well he doesn't play well Missouri I told you guys didn't play well South Carolina obviously did not play well LSU last year didn't play well 
but uh, I, I still always maintain that he gets a lot of heat for the for the uh, the bad game he has here or there, and doesn't get near as much love for what he does well. And he has been so good for us for so long. But when you look at the numbers this year, I mean, you have to say the numbers are not where he was last year. There's no doubt about it. Right now, he's completing 64.8% of his passes, which, by the way, objectively, that's really freaking good, right, Charlie? Yes. I mean, essentially 65% of your passes, and we're talking about how Jake Fromm is a weak link. Like, if your quarterback is completing 65% of his, of his passes and he's a weak link, like you're in pretty good shape. But compared to last year, where he was completing 67.4% of his passes, he is down there. Uh, he's also only averaging 8.2 yards per attempt versus 10.1 yards per attempt last year, and that's a pretty significant drop-off there. Um, and he's only got 16 touchdown passes through 10 games this year, whereas he had 30 touchdowns in 14 games last year. So a little bit off that pace right now. So yeah, the numbers are not there. And he's had, I would say, more bad games in the regular season, or at least more statistically bad games this season than he has in years past. And really, obviously, it's the South Carolina game and these past two games where he's been under 50% passing for the first time all year in back-to-back games. So yeah, the numbers aren't there, but I think you have to factor in the context. You have to look at the the entire picture. Nothing on the football field happens in isolation. That's just it's just a fact. Football is the ultimate team sport. I don't care who you are. If you don't have the players around you at quarterback, you're going to struggle. Look at Tom Brady this year. We, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback arguably ever. And right now, he was even complaining about this yesterday after after their, their game against uh, the Eagles. I want to say. He's frustrated with their offense because he's not putting up the numbers he's used to. Their team is not putting up the numbers they're used to. I know Tom Brady's old, I get that, but Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl, guys. He's still really freaking good, but he doesn't have Gronkowski. He doesn't have the guys he's had around him in years past. And no matter how good you are as a quarterback, if you don't have players around you, you're not going to look as good as you would in years past when you had those players. So you look at this year with our team, Jake is working with an entirely new wide receiver core. Lawrence Cager is the only truly experienced player at that position. And Cager himself is brand new to the team, so there's no cohesion there between him and Fromm. At least not as much as there would be if he'd been here for two, three, four years. And it's funny. One thing I find, I don't know, maybe not funny, but just... Yeah, it is. You know, it's kind of hilarious. Like, it, we, we all beat up on guys like Tyler Simmons and Matt Landers. We get questions every single week, it seems like, about how bad Simmons and Landers are. But at the same time, we turn around and we rip Jake Fromm when he's putting up the numbers like he did, when he's not putting up numbers like he did last year, when he has those guys, Simmons and Landers, to work with. Those guys that we kill over and over again, but then we expect Jake Fromm to work miracles with those guys. I find that to be uh, kind of hypocritical, to be, to be honest. And when the one guy that's been good for him, when Lawrence Cager has been healthy, Jake actually has been as good as he's ever been this year. The problem is Cager just hasn't been completely healthy all year long. I went back and crunched the numbers. In the five games that Cager has been completely healthy for and did not miss either all of the game or large portions of the game, large chunks of the game against South Carolina against Missouri, would basically missed at least an entire half of both, of, the, of both those games. So I'm talking about the games here. Uh, Vanderbilt, Arkansas State, Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Florida. In those five games where Lawrence Cager played uh, in, in, the, the, in the entire game, Jake has completed 73.8% of his passes for 237.8 yards a game, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a whopping 10.9 yards per attempt. That's in the five games that Lawrence Cager has been completely healthy for. In the four games, I'm throwing out the Murray State game here because Jake didn't play that much in that game. Cager didn't play in that game. And it was also an FCS opponent. So the four other games that we've had this year where Lawrence Cager either missed the entire game or he missed about a half of the game, 
Jake has completed 55.2% of his passes for 153 yards a game, six touchdowns to three interceptions, and only 5.1 yards per attempt. It's pretty clear, guys. We all see it. We all know it when you watch this team play that we are a different offense without Lawrence Cager. Those numbers show you just how different, not only an offense that we are, but how different Jake Fromm's numbers are and how much better he is when he has a truly competent, at least a consistently competent wide receiver to work with. I mean, right now, the issue is like we have we have three guys. We have Pickens, Cager, and Matt Landers. Those are the three guys on the roster at the wide receiver position that are built to do what our offense is designed to do in the passing game, which is essentially win 50-50 balls against man coverage when teams overcompensate against the run. That's basically what our passing game is designed to do. And we have three guys on the roster that can do that. Pickens can do it, Cater can do it, and Landers can do it consistent. Those guys have at least the bodies to be able to do that. Bodies like Javon Wims and Riley Ridley and J.J. Holman from years past. But the problem is, Landers has been a non-factor all year because for whatever reason, the guy, he's still young, gotta, gotta say that, he's got time, but he just has not figured it out yet. Cager has missed all or large chunks of about half of our games. And Pickens, we all know we've seen the flashes and he's done, he's shown the ability to do it. But he's still very young and he has some inconsistencies in knowing, you know, like where to be, how to align, all those kind of things. And Cager, when, when Cager's not out there, Pickens is the one guy that defenses have to take away. And when he's getting that much attention as a true freshman, it's really tough for that guy to be consistently good. You know, he did a really good job in the second half against Missouri when Cager's out, but you turn around to this game against Auburn and he's almost a non-factor when Cager's not in there. So it's those inconsistencies that Jake's having to deal with when Cager is not in the game. And don't get me wrong, I, I like our other guys. I think Kyrus Jackson, D-Rob, Blaylock, those are all good players. I like them. I think they can do big-time things for us. But the issue is they aren't built to really be factors in our offense, the way we scheme it and the way we call games. And I've said this many times. I said on the recap show earlier in the week, that's been my biggest issue with our offense this year. We have good players. Kiaris, D-Rob, Dom, those are all good players. They just don't necessarily have the skill set that our scheme, our offensive scheme is built to feature. So what we need to do is adjust accordingly and start doing things that fit and maximize their skill sets. Run some more RPOs, run some option routes, some mesh routes, some screen game, all that kind of stuff. Those are things that our players... Right now, when when Cager's on the game, those are things that those guys do well, and we've got to start to maximize their skill sets. But now going back to the question about Jake Fromm, no, I don't think Jake Fromm's a different quarterback. Actually, I feel like Jake Fromm, especially early in the year, all the way through the Tennessee game, was really comfortable. Then we started to have some injuries with Cager. Things started to kind of spiral, and those other guys weren't getting open consistently, at least in what we were asking them to do, because we're not asking them to do things that, again, fit their skill set. And here's where all of you can start shaking your head and cursing me under your breath. I know. I get it. I'm the president of the Jake Fromm fan club. I understand that, but I actually don't think Jake was bad on Saturday. I know that's not what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to just kind of pile on and and jump in with the echo chamber, but I don't think he was that bad on Saturday. I know the numbers don't look great. Sure, I, I recognize that, but when you look at it more closely, how many throws did Jake actually miss? How many poor reads did he actually make? The only poor read I can remember was on a ball that got batted down in the first half. Now, that one might have ended up getting picked because it looked like he was trying to fit it into tight double coverage. And when he released it, I was kind of like, oh my God, Jake, what are you doing? 
But fortunately, that one got batted down, and we didn't have to find out what would have happened. I do think that was probably a poor read based on what I saw going back and watching that play a couple of times. Because really going back and watching that game a couple of times already, and really watching Jake with a critical eye, I know that's hard to believe with me as the president of his fan club, but I really did watch him with a critical eye a couple of times going back and rewatching, and I did not see many poor reads. I was looking for them, but I just didn't see many. What I saw was Jake Fromm doing what Jake Fromm usually does, changing plays, line of scrimmage, changing the directions of runs, line of scrimmage, and getting us out of bad plays. I also didn't see a ton of poor, like inaccurate throws. That was, don't get me wrong, more of an issue against Missouri last week and obviously South Carolina a couple weeks back, but I really didn't see that on Saturday against Auburn. I, I did see a number of drop passes. I saw a couple of balls put put on the right spot on back shoulders that got deflected because we just have the wrong smaller wide receivers running those routes. And I also saw a couple of throwaways. The only poor throw that stands out to me, like really truly poor throw, was the one out route to Harrion from the slot when we went empty on a third down. That one was low and outside. And Herring was really covered up anyway. I'm not sure that ball could have been completed anyway. But outside of that, I, I'm not really sure where the inaccuracies were. I know it looks like he's regressed statistically, but I, again, I don't think it's that, that he's fallen backwards. I think it's just the context of the situation around him isn't as favorable as it has been in years past. And, and sure, you can argue and say, well, Jake Fromm's kind of quarterback with his skill set that has to have everything perfect around him, has to have all the players around him. But I, I would say you could almost say that about any quarterback out there. No, he does not have the legs that can go out there and create plays. You know, I was watching the Oklahoma game last night on Sunday night. I recorded that uh, so I could watch it on Sunday. And, you know, Jake Fromm is not Jalen Hurts. He does not have the ability to do what Jalen Hurts did with his legs in that game to bring Oklahoma back to win that game. But Jake Fromm can also do things in the passing game in terms of his understanding of what defenses are trying to do and pre-snap reads, post-snap reads, all that kind of stuff. That Even Jalen Hurts, as good as he is, I don't think he does as well as Jake Fromm. It's just a different kind of scheme, a different kind of system. But, I, I still believe in Jake. I still believe Jake is a really, really good quarterback. And uh, I, I, look, he's put up these numbers and we're still winning. And I, I go back like 64.8% completion percentage. People are killing Jake Fromm right now. And the guy's still completing 65% of his passes. And those numbers go through the roof when he's got Lawrence Cager on the field. I know it's hard to believe that one guy makes that much of a difference, but he really does because he's the one guy that right now consistently does or can do what our offense is built to do at the wide receiver position. So like, I know the numbers haven't been there, but uh, I still believe that Jay Fromm's a guy that can get us where we need to go. If the guys around him can elevate their play, and our coaches also start to adjust what we do offensively to fit the players that we have. And before we move on to our next question, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Vivid Seats. Got a lot of big games left down the stretch. Obviously, this weekend, we got a big-time matchup against Texas A&M coming to Athens for the very first time since they've joined the SEC. There's a lot of excitement here in Athens. I know you want to get in on that. So if that's the case, or if you're looking for seats to the SEC title game here in a couple of weeks against the LSU Tigers, Vivid Seats is the place to go to get those tickets. They have the best selection, the best prices. Their 100% buyer guarantee makes this an incredibly stress-free process. No worries whatsoever. You can feel completely safe with every purchase you make. And right now, they're also offering a Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program where you can earn credits back on every single ticket purchase. All you have to do is go to the App Store, go to Google Play, whatever you guys have, and download the Vivid Seats app today. And when you are ready to pull the trigger, when it's time to buy, all you have to do to receive a discount of up to $100 is simply enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout and all new users will receive a discount of up to $100.
All right, next up we have another trio of questions regarding the decision to go conservative on defense after being up 21 to 0 against Auburn. So from Darren, Jesse, and Alexander, they asked, will Kirby ever change his conservative ways? Uh, being up 21 and 0 and playing the best defense of the season, why are we changing now? In his post game press conference, Kirby Smart said that they played the same coverage in the fourth quarter as the rest of the game and did not get conservative. But it sure looked like to them that we played softer coverage until the last two drives. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I, I heard the press conference, and I, I know Kirby sat there and said... Did you hear him it, drop an F-bomb? That was pretty awesome, right? Well, now I, he's well, apologizing. Well, because, well, of course, uh, Claude Felton, our, our SID, probably spontaneously combusted when Kirby did that. Saying it was his wife. Well, I, and I'm sure Mary Beth did not love it's that. It's a word. It, exactly. It's like, did you, you didn't have an issue with it, did you? No. I thought it was, and it was hilarious. Like, if you actually watch the press conference when he said it, like the whole, the the whole room is cracking up. All the beat writers are cracking up and Kirby's sitting there with a straight face. Like he's not cracking a smile. Just like, what? I just, what was, just, just telling you what I said. Uh, it, was, it was just a great moment. It's a great moment. Uh, but yeah, he sat there with a straight face. It was like, no, we didn't do anything differently. I'm like, dude, look, I don't know as much football as Kirby Smart. I am never going to say that I do. I don't even have any, we're close to that level of football knowledge, but I went back and watched it multiple. I've watched this game multiple times already. Here we're sitting here Monday night. I've already watched this game a couple times back, and there's zero doubt in my mind that absolutely when we went up twenty-one nothing, we changed what we were doing defensively. What we were doing is we were bailing. Our corners were bailing at the snap. I'm talking just completely bailing at the snap. We were very willing to give them anything they wanted underneath, and I don't care. If, and I love Kirby. And he can say all he wants with a straight face, though. Oh, no, we didn't do anything differently. Dude, yes, you did. It's okay. It's okay to admit it. I don't know if it's a pride thing or ego. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just uh, maybe it's a competitive thing. He doesn't want other teams to know what he's thinking. But absolutely, we went more conservative in those two drives, allowing them to 21-14. And then we started getting back up in their face and started bringing some more pressure uh, when they got the ball back down 21-14. And sure, they didn't have – I will. I mean, he made a good point that when they – Got the ball back there about a minute ago. They had no timeouts. We forced them to use their timeouts by running the football. So, yeah, they absolutely had to throw the football. The run was not a threat. But the run wasn't a threat all game long. We were handling the run with our front, with our, with our front sticks all game long. No issues. So, I don't know if I buy that completely. It made sense when he said it, but I just don't know if I completely buy that. But, yeah, we definitely got conservative there. And we touched on this in the uh, in the recap show, so I don't want to go too much in detail with it again here. But yeah, like like we've we've done this before. This is a this is a philosophy that Kirby Smart believes with. Uh, I don't think we did it so much. Like it, I think one of the questions I know Charlie didn't read the entire questions. There's a lot to read there. They're all very similar. But if you look at the national championship game against Bam a couple of years ago, I know we don't ever want to go there again. But it's not just defensively. I think offensively as well. Like we go conservative when we get these leads. I, I think there's no doubt about that. And there's a few ex- exceptions here and there. Like the uh, SEC title game against Bama last year. I know we did not play well in the fourth quarter, but I don't think that was because we went conservative. I think what happened, like we were throwing the football in the fourth quarter. We were trying to score. We were trying to move the football. We were trying to be aggressive. But Bama started to bring pressure. They made some adjustments, brought some pressures that we weren't prepared to deal with. And um, that was all she wrote there. And then, of course, DeAndre Walker goes out, Jalen Hurts comes in, and he's able to, you know, scramble around the edge there. And we had no depth behind DeAndre, DeAndre Walker at that position last year other than Walter Grant. Walter Grant, God bless him, good, solid player, but he's not he's not DeAndre Walker. And that was uh, that's all she wrote there. But if you go back to that national title game against Bama, on offense, like, we did go conservative in that game. We only threw the ball seven times, including overtime. We only threw the ball seven times after we went up 20-7. to 7. 
with six minutes and 52 seconds left in the third quarter of that national title game. And yeah, I know, again, context with a true freshman quarterback, but dude, you just got to stay aggressive in those situations, offensively and defensively. And when we get leads like this, defensively, Kirby has shown a propensity to want to sit back in that soft zone and just play what I call escape defense, where you're trying to escape with a victory. And Kirby, like I said on the recap show, he doesn't really care about style points. He's made no bones about that. He's made that pretty clear. He just wants to get out of there with a win. And he's going to do whatever he thinks is the best uh, thing for our, de- our team to do to get out of a game like that at Auburn with a win. And it worked. I said that on the recap show. It worked at the end of the day. But I also think it came way too close. Like it did not need to be that close. What we had been doing all game long was absolutely stifling Auburn. They moved the ball at times here and there, but nothing with any sort of consistency. They had no answers for what we were doing defensively. They had no chance to win that game if we just played what we were doing. I, I get it. You know, you don't want to, the, the, the concern is you don't want to give up the easy, long touchdown when there are three scores down with a quarter to play. Like, you want to play the odds there and say, I don't think you can go down the field on us and go four or five minute drives and score three different times to tie the game and stop us as well. And they almost did it. They almost did it. I know the first drive took about five minutes on the clock. That second drive, though, when they scored to go to cut 21-14, that took just a little over a minute. That's not going to cut it when you're playing that soft zone defense. So, I would like to say that Kirby is going to learn from this and grow. He's still a young head coach, but I don't know, man. At this point, I just feel like that philosophy is somewhat ingrained in him. And I, I don't know until we, like we, I would say in, until we lose the game, it's not going to change. But we've lost games with that philosophy and it still hasn't changed because we saw the same thing on Saturday against Auburn. So I think he's just playing the odds there and he believes in it. He clearly believes in it. And I just, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to take for us to change that. I don't see it changing, unfortunately, because I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to it. All right, next up, Zach says, I am extremely excited about the way our young defensive guys are playing like N'Kobe Dean, Tyreek Stevenson, Nolan Smith, and Trayvon Walker. These guys are seeing the field more and taking most of the snaps. Thoughts? Yeah, this group of freshmen on defense, I was very high on them coming out of high school, and I was very excited to see what they would do early in the year. And none of them were really making that much of an impact. Even Kobe Dean, who was getting some reps of the ones in the preseason camp, but he sprained his ankle a couple weeks before the season. That set him back a little bit. Now he's getting back fully healthy. He's playing more and more and more. Tyreek Stevens in the past two games has now become a fixture in our third down defense. We'll see if that carries on. He's playing that dime. Um, and then in the dime demons, he's playing that money position. Nolan Smith, is he's a guy that's been a factor from day one. Now, he hasn't been a star necessarily, but he's played a ton, especially on third down. He's playing more and more on standard downs as well the past couple of weeks. And Trayvon Walker, he was playing, uh, Vanderbilt, he's playing that third down package. And he got hurt in the middle of the year. He's back now. That guy is a freak, freak athlete. I've seen this guy do some like crazy 360 dunks at that size, playing demons to tackle. That guy's a freak athlete, and Kirby said it right in the post-game press conference. We've got to find a way to get that guy on the field more. I, he's obviously a, a big part of what we do on third downs and the dime package, but he is too good of an athlete, too good of a player, even at this young age, to not play more than he does. We've got, and I know we've got some really good players in Tyler Clark, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, but I mean, we've got to figure out a way to get this guy on the field. He is just a freak athlete out there. Yeah, these guys are seeing the field more, and I think it's, it's our defense has been good all year, but this is just making our defense even tougher to deal with because we have the depth and the waves of talent coming at you all over the place. So this is, um, I think this bodes well for the future down the road the next couple years, but also I think this is going to be really important for us down the road when playing teams like, oh, I don't know, LSU in the SEC title game. All four of those guys you mentioned there, Zach, N'Kobe Dean, Tyreek Stevenson, Nolan Smith, Trevon Walker, Trayvon Walker, however you say it, uh, those guys are all really good athletes. 
And those guys are all big parts of our third down dying package, which we're going to be playing a lot of against LSU, a lot of. And the athleticism they have on the field to match up with the athletes that LSU has, I am very excited about. Don't get me wrong, LSU, that's going to be a freaking crazy tough matchup. But I'm really excited about what they might be able to do as young guys who are now growing into these roles, gaining more confidence, what that athleticism that they bring to the table might allow us to do against a really, really good LSU offense. But yeah, I'm very excited to see what they can do. And they're doing a great job. All right, next up, Adam and Wendell are on two different sides of the coin. Adam says he thinks Tyreek Stevenson should take Webb's starting spot, that opponents seem to pick up on Webb's coverage skills. What's your opinion about that? But then Wendell says he likes how Mark Webb has been playing and that he's finally playing with confidence and it's showing, especially in run support. He's playing with great leverage. Any other guys like that stand out to you? Yeah, it's interesting how that happens. So Adam and Wendell, I think you both make really good points here. I I will say, Adam, I agree you that Tyreek Stevenson is a better cover guy than Mark Webb. But that's not all that the star defender has to be able to do. And let me say this about Mark Webb. I'm going to defend him a little bit. I've been hard on him at times this year, especially after that Florida game. But it's really tough for anyone to handle one-on-one matchups against slot wide receivers when you're playing that star position. Because slot wide receivers, by definition, are quicker and twitchier, and they're just tougher to deal with. And a lot of the times when they're running routes, your average slot wide receiver, your average offense, is going to be given a two-way go based off of the defensive leverage. Other teams don't hamstring their offense and their wide receivers like we do at times. They give those guys opportunities to go out and make plays based on what the defense is trying to do. So against Florida, we came out most of that game, and we played with outside leverage. We had Webb playing with outside leverage almost all of that game. But Dan Mullen was taking advantage of that with RPOs and slant after slant after slant. So in the fourth quarter, when they started to make a comeback, we start to take that away. We adjust and we we play, we have web play with inside leverage. And what do they start doing? That's right. They start going to out routes out of the slot position because you can't defend everything. Like we, we could give him help there. We could. But Kirby realizes, as, as I just said, you cannot take away everything defensively. You just can't. So to dedicate more resources to taking those plays away necessarily requires you sacrificing something somewhere else. And Kirby's calculus says that's just not the wisest decision to make. Make them go 10 plus plays down the field without messing up. And if they start to do that consistently, well, then you adjust accordingly like we did against Florida. And, and look, it, it's worked this year, guys. Like Our defense is top five. We're talking about how good this defense has been all year long. We keep hearing it week after week after week. And it's working. Sure, there's always going to be something to nitpick on a defense because, again, you cannot take away everything. You only have so many resources to dedicate to taking away all the different things that offenses can do, all the different ways that they can stress you. I do agree, again, that Stevenson's probably a better cover guy. Uh, but saying that we should just throw him in there at star, that doesn't take into account what Mark Webb is doing against the run. The value that Mark Webb brings against the run is incredible because right now Mark Webb is playing lights out, setting the edge from that position, playing contain, inserting against the run. I think that's what Wendell's pointing out. So I, I, I agree there with Wendell that Mark Webb's value against the run, it's so tremendous right now that it's just really hard to get him off the field. And right now it's Devon Wilson's the guy's from the odd man out. He's a guy that Curtis and I were both really high on coming this season. I'm still really high on him because Devon's still a redshirt freshman. He's still really, really young. But right now uh, it's Tyreek Stevenson playing that money position in the dime package as opposed to Devon Wilson when, when Devon's been doing that all year coming in the past couple of weeks. So uh, I, I know that it, you look at the stats, it looks like Webb's getting destroyed from the slot, but it's just a tough position to play when you're not giving help there. And you also have to factor in what he's doing against the run. I think he's playing lights out in that regard. All right. Next up, Jamie asks, how would you rate the offensive 
line play and the win over Auburn. It looked like Fromm had all day back there. Also, do you think we should run more toss sweeps? Yeah, we touched this a little bit in the recap show. I'm happy to go there again. I thought the offensive line, like, we didn't dominate in that game, but who has dominated that that Auburn defensive front? Like, no team has done that the past couple years. What I will say, I guess maybe you could say that we did last year. We rushed over 200 yards against them. But even then, I don't know if we dominated them. We hit a few uh, chunk plays late in that game to, to kind of skew the stats. But what I will say is that we did not get dominated. We were we gave that Auburn defensive front the uh, the best match that they've had all year long. We also only held we held them to only one sack in the game. They were number two in the league coming in the game. So go back to Florida and Auburn, the top two teams in sacks in the SEC. We held them to a combined one sack, one sack on the year between those two teams. So just Yeman's work by the offensive line there, and and we did like we actually ran the ball. Actually, more successful than I thought we would. I felt if we could average about four yards a carry, that would be a good day on the ground, guys. We averaged over five point, I think it was five point one yards per carry among our top three running backs. You take out Jake Fromm's sacks and the, and those kind of things. We actually ran the ball with success. I mean, DeAndre Swift on only seventeen carries went over a hundred yards, and it wasn't like he broke like just like one long seventy yard run. Then he got like about half a yard every other carry. No, I mean he was. We were grinding out four or five yard runs all day long. And sure, Auburn had a, you know, they had a couple of tackles for loss. They ended up with five tackles for loss. But all in all, I thought our offensive line really answered the bell there and played really well against what is a good, a very good Auburn defensive front. Okay. Um, next up, we have two questions from Cliff, who never lets us down with his questions and comments. He says, outrushing Auburn and holding them to under 100 yards rushing is no small feat. The dog shut two teams out for over seven quarters of play. That's an awful lot to be proud of, despite folks who will only dwell on the negative. Go dogs! Go dogs, Cliff. I'm with you, buddy. Uh, this was the first time all year that Auburn's rushing attack. Remember, I told you guys coming into, the, into that game that Auburn wants to run the football. 61% of the time coming into that game, they run the football. Uh, but we held them under 100 yards rushing and under three yards per rush for the first time on both counts all year long. We I, I know the, the final stats don't show that necessarily because we technically got outgained. But that game, Charlie, was that game ever in doubt in your mind? Did you, like, uh, all the way through the first three quarters, I'll say, Julie, and we started going that soft defense. Through the first three quarters, did you ever feel like we were going to lose that game? I did not. At all, right? Now, the fourth quarter, it got kind of hairy and we started freaking out a little bit. But we dominated that game through the first three quarters. There's never really a doubt in my mind until we opted to go that kind of escape mode defense and made it very Way too interesting, I guess that's how I would say that. But, uh, I mean, I think we, I, I legitimately think we could have shut that Auburn offense out. They got 145 yards of offense on those two drives. We're playing that soft zone when we go up 21-0. So 145 of the 329 total yards were on those two fourth-quarter drives. And so I, I guess, Cliff, it's it's human nature to just not be satisfied with what you have and to want more and more. Let me go amateur psychologist on you here. But you're right, Cliff. I'm with you, man. This was a gut-check game. And our guys responded. Kirby said it really well in the post-game press conference on Saturday. It's really tough when you lose momentum. We had all the momentum, 21-0. You're all on the road. You lose that momentum. Everything's working against you. And to go back and still take that game, that says a lot about our players. I'm extraordinarily proud of what they were able to do. And just like it is 365 days a year, it is great to be a Georgia Bulldog. All right. Cliff also says it was great to see other guys step up like Blaylock. That may be the best defense that UGA will play this year. 21 points was solid against them, all things considered. There's still work left to do, but he couldn't be prouder of the dog. Yeah, so the, 
best defense we played all year. I mean, it's either Florida or Auburn. I would probably give the edge to Auburn because of that defensive front. I think the secondary is a, probably a push between those two. I, I mentioned on the previous show, I thought there's a lot of similarities in the secondary between Auburn and Florida. Florida has more speed rushers off the edge, while Auburn has more physical kind of dominant guys that can also control the run game more so than Florida. Uh, and I actually like what Auburn has a linebacker a little bit more than what Florida has. So yeah, I think you can sort of make the argument that's the best defense that we've played that we'll play in the regular season. We'll see what happens in the postseason. It's got a long way to go there. But that's a really good defense, and it was really good to see guys like Don Blaylock stand up, step up. And Blaylock's been good; he's been getting opportunities, and I just hope that we can continue to try to build on that, get those guys involved. Because those guys have got to start making plays. We've got to do things, to get them the football, and and again, like I keep saying, maximize the skills. Let's do things that work with what they bring to the table. But yeah, work to to do, no doubt. But like you, Cliff, again, very proud of this team. All right. Jeff asks, what concerns you the most about Texas A&M this weekend? Ooh, skill talent, man. That skill talent is all over the field offensively. You you look at the receivers and tight ends, like, oh my God. Like, I don't, like, this might be the best potentially 8 4, 7 5 team, wherever they end up in in the country this year. Like, they have so much skill talent offense. At receiver, you've got Courtney Davis, you've got Jamon Osmond, you've got Kendall Rogers, kind of a bigger target, got uh, a true freshman impact type player, great athlete, Anaya Smith. Tight end Jalen Weidermeyer has come on tremendously over the past couple of weeks. That was one of the big issues they had early in the year. They, they lost Jay Sternberger, who was their all-everything tight end last year, and they didn't have a guy to kind of step in right away. Weidermeyer was young, still kind of learning how to how to get, get out there and make plays, but he has really come on lately. He's a big, physical, athletic guy, good, strong hands. He is a problem. We're going to have to figure out a way to deal with him. Kellen Mond is up and down as a passer, but he's a dynamic athlete. Isaiah Spiller's really come on of late in the running game after starting the year really slowly. He wasn't supposed to be the guy this year, but he, he steps in after, after a season-ending injury. And he struggled early, but he's really starting to come on the past couple of weeks. So they have skill talent all over the place. Again, that's what I always say. I said it early in the show. You can't stop everything. When you got all these guys, they can all make plays. I, I honestly don't know, like with a game plan, who are you trying to take away? Probably Weidermeyer and Courtney Davis are the first two guys I'm going to try to take away because I think those are the two guys they want to get the ball to first and foremost. But all those other guys can beat you. Osmond, Rogers, Smith, Spiller, those guys can beat you on any given play. So it's just a very tough team to defend, especially if Kellamon is on. He might not be on, but when he's on, they're tough. All right, last but not least, Jamil asks, what are your thoughts on Auburn playing the Nick Fairley cheap shot on Aaron Murray repeatedly over the Jumbotron. And it was Did you catch times. that? They Didn't they show one where Fromm got sacked two years ago, too? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Which is, well, that one's not as bad because it's a sack. We do that with teams. But, like, but they played it multiple times. Right. It, 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 my big issue is the Nick Fairley stuff. Because, yeah. I mean, it's well documented, the cheap shots that were taken on Aaron Murray in that game. I mean, yeah. I, he, got hit, he literally had whiplash after that game. And they were yeah. cheap shots. I mean, these were not legitimate plays. And here is Auburn... I mean, that, that did not go unnoticed, guys. That I noticed the first time they played, like, they, they, like every team has their opening sequence, right? Where they have you know, the, the team hyped up, they get the, the fans hyped up, all that. And that that play was in there, the, the fairly cheap shot on, on Aaron Murray. But that was, and that, that's the only time they played it, that's bad enough, but whatever. But then they played it in isolation multiple times. And you have to think, like, I'm not there for any other games. You have to think they don't play that in other games, right? Right. They were 100% trolling us. And like, blatantly doing that like the just 
the brazen nature of that, where you know you're gloating over the fact that you know Georgia fans are pissed off about that play, and we have very hard feelings over that because they were flat-out cheap shots, and you just so brazenly just put that all over, oh, your big giant mm, jumbotron. Like, I thought that was absolutely absurd. I, honestly, I thought that was about the most Auburn thing they could do. I really did. Because Auburn, we talk, Charlie, you and I talk about this off the, off the record here, off the show, but Auburn kind of, like, they operate with this eternal inferiority complex within their own state, right? Within their own state, within the SEC, within the Georgia-Auburn rivalry, they have this inferiority complex. They are the little brother to Alabama. And so it's teams like that who do ridiculous, stupid, classless things of that nature. So that's all it was. It was just flat out classless, but that is Auburn. This is the team that turned on the, the sprinklers. I forget what year that was back in the day uh, after we celebrated when they just, they can't handle not being the best because they're just not, they're just not ever going to be that. And they have that, that inferior, inferiority complex. And uh, I guess they just can't help themselves. I guess that's how I would put it. But yeah, definitely noticed that. And that was ridiculous. But uh, still love Aaron Murray. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. We definitely appreciate you taking time to listen to us here and give us all of the sports you guys do each and every week. We'll be back later in the week with a breakdown of this Texas A&M game. And we will have, of course, our Week 13 Picks of the Week at the end of the week. So for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.